The Ectoplasm Show is brought to you by North KC's Big Rip Brewing Company. Lighten up dark matter, have a craft beer. What's cracking, Mamma Jammas? Welcome to another episode of the Ectoplasm Show. Now, we're doing things a little different this week. Um, firstly, we wanted to say that we hope everybody had a great holiday season, a great Christmas, uh, whatever the hell, Festivus, I don't even know what you guys celebrate. But whatever the hell it is, hope it was fantastic. Hope you have an even better New Year. Uh, so we're not going to be doing like a regular a regular ecto show. However, what we are going to do is I went back into the archives, so to speak, and I found a little gem um, all the way back to when Jason pretty much first joined the show. Now, he had been on the show before, like here and there, but this was like one of the first episodes that he was actually like co-hosting, basically. Now, the audio, this is like how primitive we were back then. It's kind of hilarious, um, but like Jason is on the phone, so it sounds like it's just like a phone call uh, between him and I, um, but yeah, pretty cool stuff, so we are going to do that, and I hope you guys enjoy it. We will be back next week with brand new content for you, and very, very excited about that. Again, guys, have a great holiday season. Have an amazing New Year's. Uh, be safe. Be well. And we'll talk to you all soon. Peace out. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Ectoplasm Show. I am Josh Hurd, and joining me today is our good friend Jason Kupsik from Midcontinent Paranormal. What's up, buddy? How's it going? It's raining here. Yeah, it's raining here, man. It sucks. It's not fun at all. Yeah. So, like, I gotta the, work out in it. Ugh. Like, the past couple days have been pretty nice. And then yesterday. It was yesterday afternoon, like this nasty looking cloud just comes rolling over town. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And bye bye sunlight and hello rain. So, yeah, yeah kind of sucks. We're kind of stuck inside now. <laughs> it's been a rain, rainy season. Yeah, it really has. There's like flooding and all sorts of weird crap going on, too. So yeah. it's not it's not fun. So, but whatever. So, how the hell are you, man? Oh, not bad. Just another week of uh, paranormal fun. Yeah, absolutely. Fun, fun stuff. Now, we were going to talk a little bit. Let's let's get into uh, 
this topic that you and I talked about this. Oh my gosh, what was it? It was like two weeks ago. We started yeah. talking about ethics <laughs> in, in the paranormal community specifically. Now, what what are your thoughts on ethics as far as the paranormal is concerned? Well, I think that as far as um, the entire topic of ethics, we have to hold our investigative teams to a certain amount of ethics if we want to be looked at as serious. Right. And, you know, with that, you know, we also, we, we talked about, you know, is it possible for some of these paranormal teams, you know, are we stepping on toes? You know, um, are, you know, are some of these investigations happening maybe too soon after the fact? You know? Yeah. I mean, we, we talked specifically about B.B. King. Right. And that I read an article about... The ethics of contacting the recently deceased with spirit boxes specifically. Trying to do like the the ITC experiments and reaching out yeah. to, to newly deceased people. Which I've always told everybody, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, you know, it's, we, we had that on the last podcast we did. We don't really know what we're doing. We're just trying a bunch of things. Exactly. But, and, the temptation to do that, but we don't really know if we're interrupting some process that they might be going through. Exactly. So, I know, God, this was this was last year, uh, last summer, that we lost Robin Williams. Yeah. Um, now I'm a big, I was a big Robin Williams fan. Um, I liked all of his movies and things like that. Um. But, I mean, it was so quick after he died. It was so quick that, you know, there was, like, spirit box communication sessions with, supposedly, with Robin Williams. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the same day. I mean, that's how it seems to have been, at least since him, if not before Robin Williams. It's like (laughs) people keep watching the their news channels or news feeds or whatever. And the second that a celebrity dies, which we just had a celebrity pass away this morning. Our last night. I don't know what hour it was, but yeah, it hit the news this morning. Right. Um, Now, what was his name? It's escaping me right now. Chris, he was the, um, the white wizard in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Something. Chris, I, yeah, I lost the last name too. But regardless, he, you know, he did a lot of things and stuff like that. So let's see what happens by tonight. You know, if if there is some kind of people will post them. I mean, I understand that people think, well, if I jump on this right now, people will look because it's fresh in the news. But that doesn't necessarily make it right. And that's what I was going to say. I don't I don't think it makes it right to do it necessarily um and you know uh i have a lot of pals that are in the the paranormal community and it was funny because one of them the second bb king died and it was all over facebook and things like that one of these uh 
paranormal friends that I have, she posted on her Facebook, let's see how long it takes before uh, a spirit box session is, you know, underway with this, uh, with BB King. And it was literally that night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, come on. I'm like, can't you just let them die? You know? I can understand, like, when we go to an investigation at a location, we don't go there the day after somebody dies. At least, I don't know anybody that does. No. And, yeah, we're trying to reach out and contact whoever might be there. Or if we're sitting in our room doing a, a, a... spirit box session and you're reaching out to a long dead um uh person right that i think that's a little bit different well and i mean the bottom line is whether they've been you know whether they're dead for for five minutes or whatever there's they're still going to be dead in a year yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I think give it some time. Well, if wants to make contact, they'll be able to do it. I mean, there's a difference. Well, I was going to try to get to it, and I lost it there for a second. But there's a difference between going to a place and actively looking for something there that might be trying to make contact, or might not be, but there's actual activity in there, and reaching out into the spiritual world and... Uh, who knows if we're annoying them or bothering them or or whatever, if they're not actively trying to contact us, maybe we're interfering with stuff. It's very possible. It's very possible. Just with the I mean, uh, the process that they may be going yeah. through, we may be interrupting that. that even with just going to an investigation location and doing it, I've had people tell me, yeah, this, this place is haunted, but we don't want anybody come in and bothering the spirits. Because who knows what might happen? There might be more activity, or they're, you know, exactly they like their spirits and stuff. Well, but yeah, it's a touchy subject. It, see, sure. and that's just it. Is it's touchy? It's it's a hard subject to talk about. Um, but at the same time, then you know, do you think? Do you think that when people are doing these types of sessions immediately following the death of a, a celebrity or whatever? You know, are they doing it for for personal gain? Do you think that's a part of it? I definitely think that's a part of it. You're jumping on to what you think will get the most views online. Well, in in certainly the death of a celebrity, there's going to be some some people making a few extra clicks there. Yeah. So I think to maybe further well, themselves. For me personally, I'm very skeptical and not a fan of spirit boxes. Right. I just never have been. I understand how people think they work. And I've uh, you know, I've seen a few or heard a few impressive things from people. Oh yeah. I don't I don't like them. I I won't use them. And that doesn't mean I don't think other people should use them. Yeah. But I don't know if um I don't, I don't know what to say about that. I just I want to put it out there that I don't personally like spirit boxes. Well, you know, and I... So when I see them do it with newly deceased people, I just, I don't really take it that seriously, to be honest. And I know, like, I've messed around with, um, 
a few of the the spirit boxes and things like that. I mean, I own the uh, the SB7, I think is what it's called. Yeah. Or something like that. I don't know what it is. But, I mean, I own that one, um, and I've played around with it. And I have, you know, caught some things that are a little strange. Um, but, at the same time, you have to take all of that stuff with such a grain of salt because the bottom yeah. line is you're still sweeping over radio stations. Yeah, I mean, it's just like the K2 meter. Who knows what's setting it off? I mean, if you, it's all has to do with, and this is one thing that the ghost hunters used to say back then, you have to take each bit of thing and put it together with the rest of the stuff. One little thing going off or one little thing from the spirit box or whatever, it doesn't mean anything. Exactly. It's not, yeah, it's not 100% hardcore uh, evidence or anything like that. Um I've heard certain people that have mentioned um, that even certain uh, semi-trucks, like, driving by and they use CB radios, I've heard that certain CB radios oh, yeah. can set them off as well. <clears throat> yeah. And that well, really makes you think. will set them off. Yeah. Anyway. And, no. I mean, that makes you think about, you know, just the validity of the instruments that we use anyway. So, it's interesting stuff. Right, well, let's, uh, let's see. Maybe we'll get back to the ethic stuff. I thought maybe we'd talk a little bit more about um, actual investigation side of that. It's like trespassing and... Yeah, and there uh, is a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. There is a lot of that I mean, going I've, on now. Most people don't know that most cemeteries are privately owned. They're not owned by the city, and they do have set hours. Yes. I've only investigated one cemetery. Well, two if you count the chapel. But we, I had permission to go there right. through you. And the other cemetery I had, we had this one was a city-owned cemetery, and we had permission from the city. And we alerted the police officers exactly. that we were going to be there. You can't just go on to any cemetery you want in the middle of the night because it looks like a field that nobody owns it. Somebody right. owns that. Well, and I know, like, here in Iowa, I know it is illegal to be in a cemetery after dark. And that's usually the cutoff time, is after dark, um, you know, most of the time they'll, they'll shut the gates, uh, lock the gates or whatever. Um, unless you have, ex- you know, uh, permission to be there um, from all parties involved. Like you said, you know, I, I contact, you know, the city government, I contact the local police department. Um, and things like that. I don't want to be, you know, stepping on people's toes. Yeah. That's the last thing I, I want own, to do is uh, make enemies. Yeah, I have my own opinion as to investigating cemeteries. Yeah. I could, I could see how it can be considered um, unethical in the sense that you're tracing over people's graves and and the family members of those people. You have to think about right what they would think of you being there. But not only that, I don't necessarily, you know, I, I, of course I think there are haunted cemeteries out there, but it's yeah. just where your body is buried. Exactly. I don't. I think that if I had a choice to haunt somewhere, I wouldn't haunt where my body was in the middle of nowhere or no. whatever it is. Hell no. You'd so want to go somewhere fun. cemeteries anyways, but I was just kind of trying to use that as an example. Even places like that or a city park, 
you have to have permission to go on there. Exactly. That's crazy stuff, though. But yeah, I mean, people basically just think, oh, it's a cemetery. It's, you know, public property. Yeah. Well, only... There's even people, there's one group here in town, and I'm sure there's others out there. They do what uh, me and another guy call porch sitting. <laughs> so we'll go to a place, like, there's a few well-known places around here that charge for investigations. I'm sure they do this at other places. They will go and they'll sit on the porch and do their sessions, point the cameras in the windows and walk around. They won't break anything, but that's still trespassing. It is. It's still trespassing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <clears throat> that's kind of funny, though. If you want to go this way, spend a little bit of money and actually do it the right way. Yeah, get inside and set up your equipment and, yeah, do an actual investigation. Yeah. But, yeah, dang, man. That's freaking crazy. So... We could also talk about charging for investigations. That's kind of the charlatan stuff we touched on last time. Right. And there, you know, now... You know, paranormal investigating has become a very big business for yeah. for a few. Um, you know, you know this like this radio program here is a is what I would consider a labor of love. You know, <laughs> I, I don't uh, we don't get money for this at all. Um, but you know, uh, I write books and things like that and do lectures, and for those, I'm you know compensated in in certain ways. Most times it's, you know, just a meal, you know, that I'll get. Yeah. Uh, but whatever. But, you know, there are a lot of places now that will charge, you know, four, five, six hundred dollars for one evening. Oh, you know, I, I, I was meaning more of the group charging the location. Are there people yeah, that do that? Of, yeah. Well, there are a few around still, I think. I saw one the other day, a group. I think it was in Ohio, maybe. Oh um, they had a whole list of, like, it was like a menu of different things that they could do, ritual-wise and stuff. <laughs> the paranormal so menu. I don't, I don't think that very, I, I, you know, obviously not very many groups do it anymore because if, if a person is going to pick a group, there, there's 10 or 100 to 1 groups that don't charge. Yeah. See, now they're but, making yeah, it sound like they're the, the fucking Ghostbusters. Yeah, <laughs> some of those places out there, like you mentioned, do charge ridiculous amounts, but I don't necessarily fault them if people are willing to pay it. Yeah, I mean, they got to eat, I, too. Yeah. You know? Um, but I didn't know, like, Jesus, man. The most I've ever been paid for doing an actual investigation was, like, three slices of pizza. Yeah. And that's just because they felt bad, you know? The, the client felt bad. They wanted to yeah. pay us, and I said, absolutely not. So they felt bad. There's they nothing wanted wrong with setting up a public investigation and charging people to come do the investigation with you, but I don't think you should ever charge the client no. themselves. Because, you know, it's all about trust. Like we said before, you have to trust the person of what of my team is showing this client. If I'm getting paid to do it, I'm going to show them all kinds of crazy stuff so I could come back again and do it again <laughs> and make more money. I <laughs> See you next week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, we got phase one of the uh, of the cleansing done. <laughs> yeah. Now phase two is going to get really intense. I'm just here to tell you, <laughs> that's going to cost there, an extra fifty are, bucks. When it comes to groups charging, most of what I've seen groups charge for are 
ritualistic kind of stuff, like cleansings and stuff like that. That's one other thing I wanted to mention with the ethics as well. I've always, since I first started the group, right? I always put in any email that I first contact with the client or whatever, I always put in there that we will not do any sort of rituals without your consent. We won't have any demonologist come in or preacher come in or anything like that without talking to them first. Not we, not that we would do rituals to begin with, but you know, some people would say that what we do is a ritual in, in and of itself. Right. But I don't. I think I've I've had run-ins with clients that have had been in with other groups, and those other groups were running around doing some kind of weird ritual in their house without talking to the client about it first. See, and that's just wrong because ultimately it's their house. You yeah. Know, they trusted that group enough to call them in for help. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to run around with, I mean, Jesus, <laughs> and do all sorts of weird shit. Yeah. That's kind of messed up, though. So I want I want to shift gears, and I, I want to talk about these disappearing civilizations and things like that. Um, there was one, there was one story that I came upon about, um, the Roanoke colony here in America, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now everybody knows that story, like how, Oh, the Roanoke colony just up and disappeared. And, um, it was that guy from the Stephen King movie. Don't you know that? <laughs> don't you know this? But then, um, I know, like, um, this guy came back three years uh, after the fact. He said he was actually going to be there, and everybody was gone. Yeah. Everything was gone except for um, the words Croat. Yeah, the uh, Croatoan was carved into the, the wood. Uh-huh. And, you know, people were like, just. I mean, it blows people's minds. They're like, oh my God, what happened to these people? It's like, well, they most likely just moved on. Yeah. You know, most likely. But then you have other... Okay, and then this is another thing that pisses me off. <laughs> um, people think that the uh, the Mayans... You know, everybody knows about the Mayans, especially uh, with that build-up to 2012 that we had. Yeah. Um, and people think, oh my gosh, they're a lost civilization. They just disappeared one day. Well, that's not no, true. There's actually still some of them around. Yeah. I mean... They actually did... A funny point about that, they actually did some interviews with some of the Mayan people that are still around before 2012, and they said, no, you guys are reading this wrong. Nobody took them seriously. (laughs) I love it. I freaking love it. But you don't hear about stuff like that in the major media. It's all all fear-based stuff. Like now, you know, in September, for those of you that don't know, in September we're supposed to be uh, meeting our doom. For real this time, for real. Yeah, uh, we we had a a, <laughs> a date just passed that I saw some people on uh, June sixth, two thousand fifteen, because the fifteen adds up to six. It was six six six. There was a bunch of people thinking that the the Earth was uh, civilization or life was going to end a couple days ago. Well, I tell you what, it's now it's yeah, it's now June eleventh. And we're still kicking. Now, but apparently the threat this time is coming from an asteroid of some sort, right? A, 
Yeah, yeah it's going to collide actually, with the Earth. Yeah, and, that's yeah. what some people are thinking. Yes. So we'll we'll see about that come September, which, you know, whatever. Um, if the so if the, I wanted to say something about the Mayans real quick. Yeah. That I, you know, I was really interested. I didn't necessarily think the world was going to end 2012, but that's the kind of stuff that I'm into. I love reading about that kind of stuff. Oh, so yeah. I looked into it quite a bit. And one thing about the Mayan civilization is when you look at the calendar, you know, most people kind of know how it works. When the, the inner ring moves one, the next ring moves another one, and then when one that ring goes all the way around once, the next one. So it was the outermost ring oh. um, that it was supposed to move again, and that was when you know the world was supposed to end. But over the lifespan of the Mayan culture... It has switched, you know, it has done that a few times right? before. And every every time that that happened, the entire Mayan culture dropped where they were living. They just up and left and moved to another place and built new. Oh, that's so interesting. So there are so many ruins out there. At that time, uh, I saw a number of only 5% of the entire Mayan civilization has been excavated. Wow. Or so I don't understand how they can think that they know what this culture was thinking when they've only gone through 5% of their ruins. Yeah, they're barely even scratching the surface with that. Uh-huh. That's interesting. That's very interesting. And so, they did that, like, uh, I think I saw three, two or three, at least, at least two, maybe four times that they just dropped the entire civilization dropped where they lived and all of their stuff and moved on and built new. Wow. That's amazing. See, it's a very, I don't know, everything is very fear-driven. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like everybody has to stay scared now. Um, and that's another thing that really kind of pisses me off, I guess. But that's for another show. <laughs> yeah. Now, I did when... The- when you brought this up, I did a little research on, I thought it was interesting, all the different cultures around the world that have built pyramids. Yes. Most people know about, I mean, I think everybody knows about the pyramids in Egypt. Right, right. But there's also, I have a list of um, different ones here. There's uh, Mesopotamia, which is Iraq and Iran. Uh They had, they built pyramids in the 6th century BC, which was uh, it's almost 3,000 years before the Egyptians. Right. Which is... And then, of course, the Mayans and the Incas. I was going to say, they have um, pyramid-type structures as well. Yeah, the pre-Columbian... Oh, there's also, I wrote down, I found a pre-Columbian Native American pyramid platform mounds. The largest one is in Illinois, and the base of it's actually larger than the Pyramid of Giza. Oh, that's impressive. And it was built in 1100 AD. And this is in Illinois. Illinois, Right yeah. smack dab in the middle of the United States. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's very well, impressive. Peru, which is the Indian culture, they have, you know, they built similar pyramids, smaller. The ones in Mexico are actually quite impressive. The largest pyramid in the world is in Mexico. That is impressive. And they were all, like, 
Mexico, they started building them in the 3rd century B.C., which is the same time the Egyptians started around 2700 B.C. So, right. And they were on other sides of the planet. And, I don't, you know, it's, it's hard to say, you know, um, if they had contact with each other, which, oh, they probably didn't, but... Um, I think contact would be difficult. Um, yeah, no, with they did those say cultures. that people around the planet can come up with invention inventions at the same time without any contact. So I could see how something like this would be done. Yeah, absolutely. But I've also done a lot of study into Zechariah Sitchin's work and other people's work, where they they believe a lot of these things were platforms for spaceships. Actually, exactly. I was just going to mention that. Um, and it's funny, too, because if you look at some of their uh, artwork and drawings and things like that from those time periods, a lot of them are depicting you know, spaceships and, and weird creek creatures uh, in the sky. Now, you know, it goes back to, like, the communication thing. The, we're talking about different cultures literally on the opposite sides of the globe that are having very similar type of drawings and, and things like that. Now, how is that possible? Yeah. You know. But not only that, I don't have a you know the names of the different cultures down in front of me. But I do. I have read a lot on knowledge that ancient civilizations had that we didn't find out, or science didn't find out until recently. Like including Pluto and the outer planets. Some some of these civilizations included them in drawings and and in writings. Then we didn't discover Pluto since until like what the 50s or 40s or whenever it was right right so there's some I mean that's another topic I guess the ancient alien stuff but I don't know how they would know that those planets were out there yeah it is crazy though see and that it makes you wonder because how would they know how would they observe that planet yeah yeah, it's well, there is there is writings that talk about writing with the gods in their flying ship, I guess. Yeah, and observing these planets. That is freaking nuts. But it makes you wonder because you know it's one thing to sit outside and and chart the stars. You know, and you can gain a very good understanding of just how everything reacts and how everything is moving um, in time time periods and things like that. You can gain a lot of knowledge just by simple observation. But to observe planets such as like Pluto or whatever that are so far out there, like there's no way without yeah. hardcore equipment. Or like you said, taking a ride, <laughs> you know? yeah. or or even just being told, or exactly, or just being told this information, which is interesting in itself. Yeah. Now you came across the story, um, specifically dealing with the moon or yeah. the lack of moon. Mm-hmm. They call them pre-lunar people. And I have a couple of the names here. The 
Uh, one of them was the Arcadians. Okay. They have uh, Pro Selenius and Pelagians. Wow. I think that's how it's pronounced. But they they wrote about a time before the moon. And even ancient Greek and Roman scholars talk about it in their writing, not them observing it, but their readings of these ancient people's uh, uh, stories. Um, how the, there was a time when the moon was not near the earth. So, they're making this observation. Or, yes, or, I mean, in most, or as far as I know, most ancient cultures worship different things in the sky and the moon is are the biggest thing in the night sky yes so it's going to be worshipped by a lot of people but you know at least that's what I've always heard no I think you're totally right I mean it's definitely it would definitely be a talking point (laughs) yeah in the earliest times when the moon was not yet in the heavens that's uh, a quote from the Indians of Bogota See, this is some jacked up shit, right? <laughs> because there are a lot of scientists out there that say, you know, the moon is is uh, essentially just a piece of the earth that was knocked off. of uh, yeah. Because, they, you know, they have the whack and double whack theory. Yeah, uh, they have that. And they, well, they have the celestial body capture theory and uh, a few others as well. But yeah, I think the prevailing part is it was uh, the the result of some sort of cataclysm with another heavenly body. That's just amazing to me. These people, and also there's another one which I don't have written down here, but I've heard about it before. I love telling people about this stuff. (laughs) there, There was, there's also another culture that never mentioned the moon. They talk about all everything else in the sky you know everything else you know everything else they worshiped on earth or whatever but they never once mentioned the moon which is odd it's very odd because how the hell can you not mention the moon yeah wow that's just it's so crazy it's my, the moon is one of my favorite topics there's all kinds of Oh odd, odd things about the moon is even the, the the relative size to our planet is not like most other planets. The position that it is in the sky that it covers the the sun exactly during yeah. the lunar eclipses. Nowhere else, mind you, does that happen. Yeah. Nowhere else does that phenomena occur. It also pulls in a lot of debris from space to itself and keeps it from hitting us. At least that's what I've read before so i'm just gonna ask you i'm just gonna ask the damn question is the moon a spaceship a spaceship that's like right the, the star. is that um, a lot of people are like oh no that's where the in uh the inunaki live yeah i i you know it, it could be possible i've heard i've read a lot of um stuff from actual astronauts Exactly. If they actually went to the moon, that on the backside of the moon, there's all kinds of machinery, and it's there was, just, you never see it because it's on the backside of the moon. 
And if you guys, if you guys check this out, um, and I will put up links and things like that on the Facebook page also, and on the Twitter page too, uh, different links to these pictures that have been, it, it appears that these photographs have been like airbrushed. Like Jason was mentioning the, the machinery and, and things like that. And there's like buildings and weird shit. Yeah. Um, but then it's like you see these photographs that have been, I mean, it's blatantly obvious that they have been airbrushed out. Um, it's, it's weird. The moon absolutely fascinates me. Um, well, I read somewhere, and of course I wasn't alive then when they, when uh, Buzz Aldrin and uh, Neil Armstrong were on the moon, that there was people picking up their transmissions with their ham radios here. They could hear whatever they were saying to NASA. Correct. And that um, they talked about, they said that they heard one of them say that there was ships lining the rim of the crater that they were in. And that's, you know, I did a uh, I did a documentary called Disclosure, and in that, like, you can go now, it's all public record, you can find their actual transmission dialogue. Um, specifically what they were saying, and I went directly to that point that you're just talking about, and it does say that there they are in the outer rim. It's just like, they described it as they were being watched. It's like okay, that's close enough, guys. That's close enough. That was it. Um, I saw a video of a press conference yeah. after they got back, and I, you know, it's on the internet, so who knows? <laughs> right, it's right. Doctored, of course. Right. But it was, I think it was Buzz Aldrin at the end of the the press conference, as like a little clip to the end. He said that, and when we left, they waved us off. Yeah. See, I mean. It's weird little comments like that. Now, Buzz Aldrin will be one of the first people to... I mean, he'll he'll flat out tell you, yes, there is other forms of life out there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it's interesting, too, is because when they land on the moon, they have to thrust downward as to not then bounce back into space, basically, uh, uh-huh. because of the lack of, of uh, gravity. So they have to thrust downward with a very tremendous force. Now, when they do that, they said that the moon rang like a bell, rang like a yeah, bell and reverber- reverberated for a good hour, hour and a half. And I mean, that's something right there. It's like, does that mean that the moon is hollow? Now, with that, it's funny because going back to those transmissions that we were just talking about, Buzz Aldrin makes a very specific comment. He says, oh my God, I can hear them moving under the surface. Now that, that to me is terrifying. <laughs> like, yeah, which goes to the thought that it might be machinery inside. Even. Right. If, if it's not a spaceship, it could be. I think there's definitely something there. Yeah, like maybe a, a space station of sorts. Or whatever. But I've never understood how it is or why it is that the moon basically just came to rest exactly where it is. And like you said, it's almost too perfect how it's... Yeah, I was actually going to make a documentary on the moon, and I haven't gotten around to it. But there's also... um, We should shoot that bitch. 
we the should. Way it, yeah, the way it's actually moving away from the planet gradually. That's amazing. There's just a lot of weird stuff about the moon. I don't have any of my notes in front of me right now. Right, the bad right. Stuff, but there's all kinds of weird facts and unexplained stuff about the moon. I mean, people think that they have a hand, that scientists have a handle on what the moon is or, or, uh, or even space or everything. If you ask some scientists, they know everything. Well, right. But they really, you know, they, they really don't. It's all theoretical stuff. That's just it. It's like for for this moon, I mean, to be quite honest with you, I think we know more about Mars than than we do yeah. about our own moon. It's an anomaly. I mean, it's very, very weird. Like why it is where it is, why it is, you know, shaped even the way it's shaped. I mean, it's it's bizarre to me. So, yeah. I don't know. But anyway, so it's it's still interesting though that these ancient civilizations then are claiming to be or were claiming to be around then before the moon was even there. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff from different civilizations that like I said don't mention the moon and then some that men- mention that there was a time before the moon and they actually witnessed its arrival. I don't know off the top of my head what their description of the arrival is, but they definitely talk about it and describe it in their their writings or whatever it is that they pass this down through. Now, see, what's interesting to me is what, you know, you said the moon does, you know, it collects a lot of things and kind of pulls things away from us, more or less protecting us. But it also has a lot to do with... um our tides and, and things like that yeah. even. I mean, it controls well, I mean, way more than we give it credit for. That, which would actually contradict this. There's a lot of people that said that life wouldn't happen without the moon, that it was the tides moving around that turned things up, and that's how life started, but that would actually contradict. Yeah. It totally... Yeah, that wouldn't... That doesn't match up. That's interesting, though. Oh man, this is completely off topic, but I'm looking out my window and there's somebody <laughs> that just bottomed out their car and cannot get off this curb. They bottomed out on the curb? Yeah, one of the curb, one of the tires is hanging off the edge of the <laughs> curb and not touching the ground and now they can't move. <laughs> oh my God, that sucks. Oh, that's terrible. I always put myself in those situations. Like if I see something bad happen to somebody... Like, I always wonder how I would react to that. Yeah. Probably after my five-minute cussing fit (laughs) that I would throw. Um, Yeah. Oh, that sucks. That definitely sucks. So, real quick, where can people find you, Jason? Find me? Yeah. Where can they stop Uh, you? Well, my website is midcontinentparanormal.com. And I am at MC Paranormal RS on Twitter, as well as that's the same thing, our name that I am on YouTube. Nice, And nice. you can find us on Facebook. So you guys can go and stalk him. Go stalk him real good, right nice. <laughs> yeah, ask me questions. Uh, tell me what you think of what I have to say about this kind of stuff. Absolutely. I love it, too, because... People are now 
um, you know, as far as the audience of this ectoplasm show, people are reaching out more and more now, and it's a lot of fun. It's really getting to be fun hearing what people have to say about these topics and hearing their opinions on some of these topics. I'm freaking having a blast with this. So we definitely want to keep that going yeah, as much as possible. So, and also, you know, I've, I've kicked this around too, because if you guys are in the Kansas city area, uh, Kansas city, Missouri area at the end of July, we're doing a paranormal conference down there. Um, and Jason, you're going to be there, right? Yeah, so okay. this is actually how you and I met. It, I, it is. I personally started this conference, and a friend of mine kept it going after I did it for two years. But the second year, I found you on a podcast and invited you to come speak at it. Yeah, I was blown away because that was like the first real radio interview I had ever done. And then I got this email from this Jason dude, and I was like, holy shit, like, okay, now I have to go and like talk about this stuff. <laughs> But uh, we're going to be doing that again. But what I want to do is I want to see if it's possible that, uh, not necessarily part of the conference, but I want to do a live ectoplasm show. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. I think it would be a lot of fun and have some audience participation, so to speak. So the website for that conference is kansascityparacon.net. Yes. When I when I started it, I called it the Mid-Continent Paranormal Conference, but Hector, who who ran it with me in my second year, took over after I decided to focus on other things for a little while. I took a break from the paranormal. He kept it going. So Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, tickets are 15 bucks, something yeah. like that. It's That's pretty damn awesome. cheap. It's really cheap uh, to do that. But, yeah, so if you guys are in the Kansas City area or whatever... Um, or want to, you know, just get yourself to Kansas City. You can go sleep on Jason's couch. There, I said it. <laughs> good luck finding my house. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, no, if you guys are there, come check us out. It would be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'll have a table. I actually happy to say that I am allowed to attend and do everything at the conference for free because I started it. That's right. <laughs> so I will have a table there, and you can come up and talk to me. And that'll be fun too. That'll be a lot of fun. We can throw we can throw shit at each other throughout yeah. throughout the day. <laughs> but hell yeah! Well, on that happy little note, I am going to uh, I'm going to end the podcast, and I hope everybody has a great weekend, and. We'll talk to you very soon. Peace out. Yes, see you later. I make it a rule never to get involved with possessed people. Actually, it's more of a guideline rule. And I know what I saw, and that's not what you're telling me what I saw.